John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Lord, help us to hear and to heed Jesus Christ, your Son. He is your beloved one. You have commanded and urged that we should hear him. Let us do so this evening to the blessing of our souls and the glory of your name, we plead, for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Detours aren't always a problem. You'll still get there eventually. That late night motorway journey where they decide to maybe block off a few lanes or even shut the space between this and that junction... It's a pain, but you'll be able to work around. The diversions that we sometimes take, the delays that we face, they can be disappointing, but they're not necessarily disastrous. We'll get there eventually, things will work out. There may even have been journeys that you've been on when the destination doesn't particularly matter. Uh, my family might tell you that I'm not averse to saying, let's see what's down there. And off we go. We turn off a road that we've not been down before or try and find... It doesn't always work out well, that should also be said. But the destination itself may not be the most important thing. You're just out and about, perhaps. But there are times when destinations are of vital importance. And by vital, I mean they are a matter of life and death. If somebody who is bleeding out is in an ambulance, then a diversion, a detour, a delay can be the difference between life and death. Under such circumstances, everything matters. Every second counts. And knowing that you are on the right way and knowing that you are going to the right place is all important. So what about coming to God for life? What about finding everlasting peace and joy in God himself, now and forever? Detours matter. Delays and diversions become significant. Life and death, eternal life and eternal death are on the line. Heaven and hell hang in the balance. The most important thing you can ever know, the most important place you can ever go, the most important route you can ever take, the most important destination at which you can ever arrive is the one that brings you from death to life through faith in Christ into the very presence of God. Does that bother you? Do you stop and consider that? Does that reality weigh upon your soul? Am I going to God that I may have life? It certainly bothered Thomas. I know we often perhaps dismissively speak of him as Thomas the doubter, but uh, there are times in the scriptures where he's identified for us and you see something of the man's heart and concern. In verse 5, the Lord Jesus has just said to them that they're not to let their hearts be troubled. If they believe in God, they're to believe also in him. 
In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas's response, I'm not sure I do. And this is important. Where, Lord? We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Thomas is concerned if Christ is going, how can we go to where he is? How can we enter into these blessings of which he speaks? Our Lord says he's going to prepare a place for his people. That seems to have perhaps primary reference to his death on the cross, but I suggest it may also include something more than that. Not just the crucifixion, but the resurrection and the ascension and his reign and his return, for he is now living at God in God's presence. This God-man has gone to prepare a place for us. There is a heavenly home that has been made ready. And Thomas is concerned. How do we get there? How do we get to where God is? How do we get to this heavenly glory? Where are you going, O oh Lord? How can we know the way? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's Christ's own answer to the question, how can we get to God? How can we know this heavenly life? How can we come at last to those mansions above? Consider then the person who speaks, particularly in John's Gospel, although sometimes elsewhere, when you hear these I am phrases, you should hear echoes of the divine voice. When the God-man says, I am, he's making a claim to deity. Here is God incarnate who speaks. Here is the Son, the eternal Son, who has taken flesh and blood. Here is the mediator. Here is that redeemer who is now going up to die for his beloved people. And he's profoundly conscious of it. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. At this point in the history, the, the reality of the cross is beginning to press in upon the consciousness of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, when God speaks, should men listen? Sounds such a blindingly obvious answer, doesn't it? If God speaks, should men listen? Here is God speaking to you. Here is God's own voice off the pages of the book. I am the way, the truth and the life. If God were to say anything to us, should not our ears be open to his voice and our hearts primed to hear what he has to say? You might almost say, is, is there anything within the fact that God has spoken that should attract our attention more than the fact that God is speaking? 
Well, if you were to make any kind of distinction in what God has said, to say that perhaps it were possible to say that some divine words were more important than other divine words, which seems a nonsense if God has seen fit to speak. But imagine that you can make that distinction for a moment. God speaks about the way to God. God tells us how to have life in him. God is speaking to men. And he's telling us how we may approach him, how we may draw near to him. When God speaks, are you listening? When God speaks about such things as this, are you all ears? Are you you totally focused on what he has to say? My friends, this is not just any old book. This is the word of God. Every word in this book proceeds from his lips. And here he is in the person of his son and he is making known truth about salvation. There can be nothing that ought more to grip our attention or hold our attention than the words of the incarnate son concerning life everlasting with his father. This is a voice to fill you with wonder. Has God himself spoken? And should I be privileged to hear We could pause there. I said, just stop. Think about that. For how long? How long do you want? An hour? Two? Three? Simply to pause and consider that the God of heaven and earth has taken it upon himself to speak to us. That is a moment for wonder. It's a moment for humility that he should make himself known to me and to you that the God of heaven should stoop down in this way that the eternal son should take flesh and blood and accommodate himself to our folly and our frailty and our sinfulness and our neediness God has deigned oh what matchless condescension somebody who's no longer uh, in this congregation this is quite a while ago used to used to complain at that hymn. I remember this person saying to me, I don't like it. Condescension. You know, it, it, it sounds like God's looking down on us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, you, you think we're peers? I don't think they were suggesting that. Yeah. What matchless condescension. God has stooped down to speak to us, brothers and sisters. The eternal one has spoken to creatures made of dust. That ought to put us on our faces before him. should open our ears to consider what he has to say. And it should fill you not just with wonder and humility, but with confidence. Because if God is speaking to you, you've got something to rely on. In a world full of nonsense and foolish claims, you can't even tell uh, whether or not the, the latest piece of news media has any kind of relevance where you've got not just the, the, the polarity of different political parties and systems vying with one another, speaking about the same things, calling one another liars, but apparently these uh, foreign agencies and these computer programs which are twisting and promoting and advancing and uh, throwing light on certain things and making certain material prominent. I'm not suggesting that we all need to become conspiracy theorists, but I am suggesting that we do need to keep our wits about us when we hear the so-called truth claims that are bandied in this world. 
until you come with relief to the words of Christ. Right. You speak, I will listen. You talk, I'm hearing. I can take every syllable of this book and I can rest myself, body and soul, upon the words that proceed from the mouth of God. And he's speaking, the I am is speaking about himself. It's not just his example, it's not just his teaching, he is talking about himself. So do you hear him? Not that you're listening to me so much, not have you got your Bible open at the right page and are you looking at the right verse, but are you hearing tonight the voice of the I am? The Son of God, the Lord of glory, the Prince of peace, the Lamb who was slain, the Saviour of sinners, the eternal God in the flesh, and he's speaking to me and to you. What wonder, what humility, what confidence. God is speaking about the way to God, and there can be nothing more important for you in this moment than that. The person who speaks then is the I am. The identity he reveals is wonderfully rich and assuring. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the way. I am sure and secure. You put your foot on me, you shall not falter. If you come out of the miry clay and set your foot upon the rock, you know that all is well. I am the way, and I am the happy and the sure and the certain way, even though the path will take you by way of the cross. It is Christ himself who brings us to God. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, Brothers, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. You know, he has this in mind when he uses this description of himself. I am the way. I am the one who will bring you into the very presence of God. And there is no other. He's not a signpost. He is the road. Preachers point to him. They don't point to themselves. They don't point to anyone or anything else. The whole task of pastoral ministry and, and the preaching of the gospel is to identify Jesus Christ. And you don't point to him because he's going to point anywhere else. You point to him because he is the way. He is the answer. He is this, uh, not just a guide for us, but the door into the very sheepfold itself. He is the end of all these things. There's nowhere else to go beyond him. Christ Jesus is the way. He is, to use Isaiah's language in chapter 35 and verse 8, he himself is the highway to heaven. If you are to come to God, it must be by he who is the way. God is not revealed anywhere else. God cannot be enjoyed in and through anyone else. If you are to come to God, you need the way. And he is the truth. In him, God is made known, even though he is just about to be accused by liars. He's going to be assaulted. His testimony is going to be 
pulled apart as much as men can. They will confound themselves rather than him. Their testimonies will be found not to agree, but he's going to be assaulted by untruths, who is himself truth incarnate. I am the way, said Jesus. I am the truth. And it's striking, and it should be to us, how often he identifies himself as truth. So go back for a moment to John chapter 6 and verse 32. Again, sometimes our eyes or our ears just flow over these things. Most assuredly, said Jesus to them, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. See, he's saying there was an image there. There was a type or a shadow. There was a signpost there. There was a a picture of that which is to come. There was an outline of something that is true. Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. I am the true bread. I'm the end. I'm the fulfillment. I am the reality. The writer to the Hebrews does the same thing, speaking about the Lord Jesus. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 2. This is our high priest seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. You know that tent in the wilderness? You know that temple that was established? You know that picture of heaven on earth? Well, that tabernacle was only a shadow. I am the true tabernacle. I am God dwelling with man. This is where reality is. I am the way. I am the truth. Hebrews 9 and verse 24. Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself. This is substance, my friends. This is reality. This is something which is fixed and sure and real and certain. He is the truth of all the types and shadows. He is the fulfillment of all the promises. All the priests find their conclusion in the great priest. All of the prophets find their destination in the true prophet of God. All of the kings were shadows of him who is king of kings and lord of lords. Everything about him is not just true but truth. He's true in himself. He's true in his deeds. He's true in his words. He's true in his person. It's absolute. It's final. It's clean. It's definitive. If I have come to Christ, I have come to that which is true, to he who is himself truth. And here God declares himself truly in grace and mercy in the person of his son. Then again, this man is the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. Again, you can see where he uses similar language. John 17 and verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See the connection again? Philip is still asking to see the Father. If you set eyes on me, you've seen God. You've seen the heart of God manifest on earth. You know with whom you deal because I am the image of the invisible God. 
Or again in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 20. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know, notice, him who is true and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is, connection, the true God and eternal life. Now he is about to be slaughtered. That may or may not be deliberate, but we'll pause until we can be heard. (laughs) The life is about to be put to death. The life is about to give himself for the sake of others. There is life in him. In John chapter 11 and verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Again, that claim to be truly God in the flesh amongst us. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Or again, back in 1 John again, in chapter 5 this time once more, but now verse 11. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. To be in Christ is to have newness of life. And he's not just lively. He's not merely influential. He's not just a positive force in our existence. He is life. And all life is found in him. He is the giver of life. Sinners are lost. Christ is the way. Sinners are ignorant. Christ is the truth. Sinners are dead. Christ is the life. All the blessing that we need. The only one on whom we can depend. In all the kaleidoscopic ugliness of our present need as sinful men and women. Christ is the answer to every question. He is the only one who is each of these and the only one who is all of these. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. He is the way, the truth and the life. There are not three. There's not a truth and a life and a way. There is one saviour and he is the way and the truth and the life. And he is the way because he is the truth and the life. There does seem to be some kind of progression here. How can you be confident that Christ is the way? Because he's truth and he's life. What hope then does this Jesus offer? This incarnate God who is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What Christ offers is a way to God. What Christ offers is peace with his father and peace with he who will become our father through him. Christ is saying there is a way home to God from the dark paths of sin. There is a way into the very presence of the almighty. There is a way to come before the face of the God of heaven and earth to come into the true tabernacle 
the eternal holy of holies, not made with hands. There is a way to enjoy communion with God. There is a way to be assured of a place in heaven. There is a way to know that you are going to that the mansions in glory. This mansion language, it's, it's, it's a bit rocky. Uh, it plays into the hands, I think, of the, the health, wealth and prosperity preachers. I mean, who wouldn't want a mansion? I mean, on earth, let alone in heaven. I mean, yeah, let's take one in each place. Why not? The, the, the sense is, is more that of a dwelling place, an abode, to be with God, to be in his presence. It's beautiful imagery. You know, in my father's house are many mansions. If we're thinking of sort of great individual dwelling places, it wouldn't even make sense. But in my father's house, there are many rooms. In my father's house, there are many places for people to stay. In my father's house, there is an abundance of space. In my father's house, if you'll come in through the door, you will find a heavenly abodes, a place to stay. The Lord God loves to, to offer this to his people. If anyone loves me, 1423, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. If you wanted wonder and humility and confidence, what happens to you on your way to the heavenly home? God takes up residence in you before you take up residence with God. Is that not stunning to you? And this is what Christ offers. My father and I will come. We'll take up residence in you. And we will keep you until you take up residence with us this is the very definition of heaven it is to be with god to have god mediated to us in christ and in peace and in security to sit down with him isn't this what the lord jesus declared to the jews there are many who are going to come from the north and the south and the east and the west what are they going to do they're going to sit down with abraham and isaac and jacob in my father's kingdom they're going to take up residence. That's their home. Not this earthly Canaan, but that heavenly glory. And to be with God through Christ is heaven indeed. What came into the world through Adam? Sin. And what has sin wrought in us? Distance, darkness and death cut off from God, alienated from him, sunk in ignorance, gloom and perversion, dead in trespasses and sins. What does Christ give us that Adam lost? The way, the truth, the life. My distance undone at home with God. My darkness made light in him who is the truth. And my death overturned. Life in Christ, who lived and died and rose again for his people. The person who speaks is the I am, the incarnate God. The glorious identity that he reveals is that he, as God in the flesh, is the way, the truth and the life. The hope he offers is that we shall come to God himself now and forever and the claim he makes is that no one comes to the father except through him 
I will say again what I have said possibly now hundreds of times, that it is not about you. It is not who you are. It's not the place in which you've been born, in which you've been living, in which you've been raised. It's not the parentage that you have that secures you a place in the glory to come. It is not even the privileges of simply sitting under the gospel, having a Bible available to you, hearing the preaching of God's truth. It's not your winning or not winning personality that either brings you in or shuts you out. It's not because you're dynamic or gifted or insightful in some particular way. It is not who you are that brings you to God. And it is not what you do that brings you to God. You might labour a hundred lifetimes and you would only be more filthy at the end than when you began. Not least because your labours, if they are intended to in some way re replace or supplant Christ's, you're saying that this God-man is not what you need and not enough for you. And that itself is a gross insult to the God of heaven. It's not what you feel. How many people long to feel enough, to feel right, to feel to a certain degree or depth? Your feelings will not and cannot bring you to God. You could reach the very heights of feeling, the very depths. They could stretch you. They could plunge you into the gloom. They could lift you up into glorious intellectual knowledge. But your feelings themselves would not accomplish anything. Not what you know, not the, the data that you accumulate. You can know all there is to know in the scriptures about Jesus Christ. You could vie with the Pharisees for your knowledge of things that God has written down and not yet see Christ in his glory and God in his mercy it's not the strength of your desires do I want it enough have I tried hard enough it's not how many tears you've wept have I cried enough have I felt guilty enough have I felt bad enough it's not what you wish I long to be happy oh my soul is, is yearning for something that is good it's not how much you hope oh I hope that it will be so I wish that this might come to pass I long for these kinds of things it's not your resolve and your determination I must have them and I will get them it's not the service that you render not how hard you've worked or how much you've given or how often you've been on the streets or how many sermons you may have preached it's not your reformations your moralizings you're trying to make yourself good and right and clean in the eyes of men or of God these things are not the way and so often we build our hopes and our desires and our expectations upon ourselves Christ says do you want to come to God I am the way the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Lord Jesus, that should be a relief to you. Amen. Throw it all away. Forget about it. Whatever may be your bad deeds, whatever may be your good deeds, bundle them up, cast them aside, and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And you will not have peace with God. And you cannot enjoy the smile of God until you stop trusting in and resting on someone or something other than Jesus Christ. 
advancing in holiness, growing in maturity, developing in understanding, doesn't mean that you you realise less and less how much you need Christ. He becomes your all in all. There's your confidence. There's your happiness. There's your delight. Have you had a good time? Have you had a bad time? Have you, have you struggled with this? Have you wrestled with that? What are you doing with yourself? Oh, I'm trying really hard. I've gone to the cross. <laughs> Cast myself afresh upon the Saviour. Been washed in his blood. And I've got peace with God. The longer we go, the higher we climb, the more beautiful the more necessary, the more excellent Christ appears to us. My friend, the way to God is faith in Jesus as he presents himself to you here. I am the way, the truth and the life. Do you want to come to God? You must come through me. And that's not standing at the doorway like a bouncer saying, you want to come in, you're going to get past me. No, Christ is the open door. Come, come by me and enter the kingdom. Come to the Father. Enter in to this blessing, this goodness and this glory. If you've been looking elsewhere or trying some other way, Let the words of Christ sweetly explode all your vain hopes. Give them up. Why are you troubling yourselves? Why are you agonising over things that cannot and will not help you when Christ himself is giving you tonight the answer? Would you come to God? Would you have the forgiveness of sins? Would you know the glory to come? Would you have your transgressions blotted out? Would you have assurance of salvation? Would you be able to rest in your soul? Would you be able to live and die with confidence? I am the way, the truth and the life. This is exclusive. Why is it that when we come to religion, so often exclusivity is offensive and discouraging? If I offered you an exclusive deal, wouldn't you be happy? If I said, I've got something for you that is high-end, high-grade, you're an exclusive customer. That's oh, tragic, isn't it? You go on these airlines. Been in a lot of airports in the last few weeks. The announcements come over. This is an announcement for our special customers. The exclusive deal is now available. You can come to the gate 10 seconds before everybody else. <laughs> That's me. I'm up front. So petty, isn't it? And yet here is Christ. I am the one precious thing. I am all and everything. Why does that not entrance us? Why does that not excite us? Why does that not draw us? Why does that not attract us? The things that this world considers exclusive are desirable because they're definite and substantial and special. This is true exclusivity. I am not a way, I am the way. I am not a truth. What is a truth? What if you've got a truth and I've got a truth and they're not the same truth? Well, we've got no truth. But Christ is the truth. Christ is not just a life. A life can be snuffed out. He is the life. He is the light of men. 
And that is what makes him precious to those who believe. It's what delights our souls. Friends, it's what will revive our hearts. If you want to be lifted heavenward, if you want the sweetness and the assurance and the pleasure and the, the beauty and the, the peace and the joy and the rest of God, then you come to Christ Jesus and everything you need, you have. Are you in darkness? He will be your light. Are you in misery? He will be your joy. Are you confused and distressed? He is the way. Do you not know what to believe? He is the truth. Do you long for life in God? That life is in Christ Jesus. There is no other. I would not dare to offer you one. Not least because I would not dare to trust any other but this Jesus. Do you have him? Are you in him? Have you come by him to God, who is the way and the truth and the life? To come to him is to come to God himself. Where I go, you know, and the way you know. How can we know where you're going? How can we know the way? I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, you know, I hope that no one ever has come to God any other way than by Jesus Christ. If you're sitting here tonight as a believer in Jesus, as one who has God as your Father, would it not be your testimony? He is the way and my way. He is the truth. I have trusted him. He is the life and I have found my life in him and in him only. I have come to God by him. Some of you would say I tried a hundred other ways and none of them got me any closer. And then I found the way and he brought me straight into the presence of God himself. Some of you will say I, I sought truth in a thousand places and I only found a thousand thousand lies. And then I heard Christ, and he was not just another truth, another offer, another suggestion, another deceit, another disappointment. He was the truth, and I could rest my soul upon him. And I was lost in death, I was trapped in sin, I was burdened with iniquity, I was overwhelmed with my transgressions, I was a dead man, a dead woman. And then Christ found me. And Christ was life to me because he is the life. If you have not yet come, I want you to hear the words of incarnate God this evening. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I want you to hear it as he says it, not as a threat, not to repel not to block off, but to identify himself, to draw you to himself, to show you himself as the one by whom you too can know God and in knowing God have this eternal life which is in Christ Jesus. And my brother, my sister, this is your Redeemer. Amen. This, this is your hope.
This is your confidence. This is your way to God. This is the truth upon whom you rest. This is the life in whom you live. God has made his home in you. And you shall soon be at home with God. Because of Jesus Christ, I go, he said, to prepare a way for you. I will lay down my life that you might live. I will hold to the truth to the end. I will make the way. And you, following me, you shall come at last.